Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Everyone said, amen. So I take eyes to see. I take ears to hear. I forgive everybody of everything. I receive supernatural debt cancellation. The word of God that I'm about to receive will enable me and empower me to make Jesus famous in my everyday life. You may be seated. Open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. On Wednesday nights, we've been doing a series called Focus on Fruitfulness. And so if you want to follow along with me in my notes, you can get them on the YouVersion Bible app. Just go to the more section, the one that has those three lines, hit events, and you'll see focus on for fruitfulness part three. And you go ahead and download those notes and follow along with me or save them to your device and look at it another time. One of the things the Lord told us in our New Year's message, he said to do three things. He said, focus on fullness, focus on fruitfulness, and focus on fire. And so we've been focusing on fruitfulness. And the two weeks prior when I ministered, we talked about how to do that. And now we're going to look at tonight the fruit that God expects us to bear. So doing a little bit of review, looking at Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he which began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Another translation let us know that that work, he's going to keep doing it to get us ready for the return of the Lord. So notice whose responsibility is it to get us ready for the return of the Lord? It's Jesus. So one of the things we said in the weeks prior, it's not going to be our fleshly efforts that get us ready for the return of the Lord. It's not going to be by our fleshly efforts that get us to a place where we're producing more fruit for the kingdom of God. It's going to come through our relationship with Jesus. We said you must focus on your relationship with Jesus, not on perfectionism. Because if you focus on perfectionism, you will become legalistic and be a Pharisee. But if you focus on your relationship with Jesus, the fruit will flow from that relationship. Let's skip down to verse 9. This is a prayer that Paul prays. It's a prayer that I pray for you. He says, and this, pray, and this I pray, that your love may abound or overflow yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment and all sense, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ or through Jesus Christ unto the glory and the praise of God. The message version says, making Jesus Christ attractive to all, getting everyone involved in the glory and the praise of God. So being filled with the fruits of righteousness will make Jesus attractive to everybody, getting them involved in the glory and the praise of God. But notice, where does this come from? Being filled with the fruits of righteousness comes from overflowing in the love of God. All of the fruit of the Spirit descend and come through love which is why love is mentioned as the first one. So go to Galatians 5, verse 22. Galatians 5, 22. All the fruit of the Spirit flow from love because God is love. And in the weeks prior, we said the fruit of the Spirit are the character traits of Jesus. So if you demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, you'll have the character of Jesus. Now, a lot of people want the power of God. The power of Jesus. But you need character to keep you. It's an old Pentecostal saying, you can't fire a cannon from a canoe. Because if you do, you're going to sink the canoe. 
If you want to walk in great levels of the power of God and have great manifestations of the power of God, you need to have some character to keep you. You never want to go to a place where your character can't keep you. You may be asking God, well, God, I want to get to this place, but maybe your character is not ready to take you there. Galatians 5, verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. So let's look at what are these fruits that we see. So let's look at love first. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Because in our society today, many people call different things love. We use the word very loosely. You know, we love people and we love pizza. You love your dog and he loves fried chicken. So we have to define what does the Bible mean when it says love. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4. I'm going to read it from the Amplified Classic Edition. It says, love endures long and is patient and kind. So when you read through it here, especially the Amplified Classic Edition, you see a number of the fruit of the Spirit already mentioned. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. It is not boastful or vainglorious. It does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are faithless under all circumstances and endorse everything without weakening. Love never fails. So this type of love overflowing in you leads to all of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, one of the things you have to realize is the love of God has been poured out into your heart by the Holy Ghost, who's the Spirit of love. So you don't have to pray for, God, give me more love. You already got love. You have to use what you've been given if you expect it to grow. So, well, how do I use what I've been given? How do I identify with this love? Very simply, type out or write out verse 4 through 8, and instead of love, put your name. Instead of love, put your name. And say that you endure long and are patient and kind. That you never are envious or boil over of jealousy. That you're never touchy. Now, you may be a super touchy person. But you put up in all the places where you feel like you're going to have a touchy moment, maybe in the office. The next cubicle next to you could be the one you believe that, you know, Paul said he had a thorn. This person does a straight bush in your flesh. And so you know every morning they're going to stand up and talk to you. So right under the place where they stand up, just put love is not touchy. Love is patient. So before you respond to them, you see love is patient. And so you respond to them in a different way. You talk about the love of God on the inside of you. So you acknowledge scriptures about the love of God. Remember, we love God because he first loved us. And we're to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, which is everything we have. Now, God would not tell us to love us in one way that he doesn't love us himself. So one of the things you say, Father, I desire to love everybody the same way you love me. 
Father, I love you with all that I am, and I know you love me with all that you are. I don't want to just be a recipient of your love. I want to be a conduit of your love. Jesus, you said to love others as you love me, so that's what I want to do today. So I make a decision right now. I love, and you go through the list. I love my spouse as Jesus loves me. I love my children as Jesus loves me. I love my family as Jesus loves me. I love the brethren, my church family, as Jesus loves me. I love my community as Jesus loves me. I love my coworkers as Jesus loves me. I love the, my fellow man as Jesus loves me. What are you doing? You're activating the love of God on the inside of you. Everything spiritual that God has put in you is voice activated. One of the ways you release your faith is the words that come out of your mouth. So you have to make a decision every day and you confess that love commandment. One of the things I say, well, the love of God has been poured out unto my heart to such an extent, it saturates every cell of my being so people can sense the love of God just by being in my presence. So whether I open my mouth around them or say anything around them, when I walk by, I want the love of God to be so strong in me, people sense the love of God when I walk by. What is that? Stirring what God has put into you up to a maximum level to where it's overflowing. Because if it's overflowing, it's going to come in contact with others. And every fruit of the Spirit comes from love. The next one on the list is joy. Now, this joy is not a fleeting emotion of happiness. Because if the fruit of the Spirit was happiness, then it's ruined as soon as you get a bad report. As soon as someone says something short to you. As soon as someone offends you. As soon as you get a light bill that's too high. That's not joy. That's happiness. You know, people loved that song a few years ago singing, I'm happy. Imagine how much that song moved the nation. Unless you know how depressed the nation really is if it took that song to pull them out of the dumps. So joy is not happiness. It's a divine, divine endowment that allows you to be joyful even when outward circumstances say you should be crying. So that means the fruit of the spirit of joy is not dependent on outward circumstances. It's not dependent on how you feel. It's not dependent on what's going on. It's what God has put on the inside of you so you can tap into that joy even when you feel like you should be depressed. You can tap into that joy even when you feel like you should be doing anything but smiling and laughing. Why? Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So if you lose your joy, you lose your strength. So you always have to keep your joy. You always have to decide to smile and laugh by faith. Now, there's a difference of faith and fake. People come into the presence of God being fake and call it faith. That's not faith. You come into the presence of God, you throw away every mask. You come honest, God, this is who I am. This is what I'm going through. But because of your word and I believe your word, I don't have to leave the same way in which I came into your presence. Now, well, how is faith different than faith? Faith is I see this in the word. So I make a decision to do this because God said so. So although I feel like crying, I'm going to laugh right now. Now, that's not fake. That's faith. Although I feel like cussing that person out, I'm going to forgive them anyways. That's not fake. That's faith. It's a decision you made to act on the Word of God. So where the fruit of the Spirit is going to come from, it's a decision to do what the Bible says no matter what you feel like doing. 
It's telling your flesh to take a back seat and he put your spirit in charge. It's telling your flesh, remember, the fruit of the spirit is presented as a comparison to the works of the flesh. So saying my spirit is on the throne, not my flesh. Because my spirit is inhabited by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So I put Jesus on the throne and let him rule through my spirit until I tell my flesh to take a back seat. The next one is peace, which is the tranquility in the soul that is unaffected by outward circumstances or pressures. So now you have a reason to be joyful, but now you have a reason to be at peace. I like what Rick Renner said in his devotional. He says, this word strongly suggests the rule of order in place of chaos. When a person is dominated by this word peace, he has a calm inner stability that results in the ability to conduct himself peacefully, even amidst the midst of circumstances that would normally be very nerve-wracking, traumatic, or upsetting. So while everyone else will be biting their fingernails off, everyone else will have nervous tics, everyone else will be getting high, everyone else will be drinking, you're at peace. It's like, I don't need weed to get me at peace. I got the Holy Ghost. Too many Christians are turning to weed and alcohol for cheap substitutes of what the Holy Ghost is supposed to be in their life. I have peace. So while I should be freaking out, no, there's peace on the inside. Now, how do I get that peace? How do I stir that up? Go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Philippians 4, verse 6. Paul says, by the Holy Ghost, be careful for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So you pray and ask for what you want, but you don't just end it there. You thank God for it. Why? If you pray based on the word, you know that he heard you. According to 1 John 5, if he heard you, you have what you prayed for. And so if God gave you what you prayed for, it's just polite to say thank you. So, well, pastor didn't show up yet. I didn't say it showed up. I said it's polite to say thank you. Because that's what faith does. Faith thanks them before it shows up. Because your faith took it when you prayed. Remember, Jesus said in Mark 11, believe you receive when you pray. Another for receive means take. So, when you pray, you have to take it. If you don't take it when you pray, you don't got it. So, don't expect it to show up later where I pray. Well, did you take it? Well, no, I didn't. Then you don't got it. You have to take it before it shows up. You need a car and you pray about it, you stand on the word, you follow what the Holy Ghost says, you take it. Even if it doesn't show up in your bedroom, which it shouldn't. You do not want a car dropping through your roof in your bedroom. It is no use to you anymore. So I got what I prayed for, but how is it of use to you anymore? God knows how to get it to you. Your job is to believe, to take it by faith, and let God do the rest. You're the believer, not the performer. We like to get it flipped. And each quote stuff says, well, the Bible says God helps those that help themselves. That's not in the Bible. See, we're Americans, so we quote Benjamin Franklin like it's scripture. We say, well, that sounds like the book of Proverbs. It's not. Go read it, please. If you want something to read during the month of July, read a chapter of Proverbs every single day. There's 31 of them. It'll feed your soul, grant you wisdom and understanding. You realize, oh, this is the Bible. Oh, and that was Ben Franklin. 
And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep or guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. So notice, if I want this peace that's on the inside of me to activate, when I pray, I need to pray with thanksgiving and make a decision. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to be anxious. So that means every time you're tempted to worry, tempted to not believe God, tempted to be anxious, you have to make a decision. No, I'm not going there. Nope, I'm not going to be stressed. I make a decision to be at peace, and I'm not going to fret about the situation. Because if you do that, the peace of God will rise up and minister to you. But verse 8 is also important to keeping that peace. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So in order to stay in the peace of God, you have to keep your mind right. You can't just be thinking any old crazy thought if you think you'll be at peace. That also means you can't always watch every crazy thing and listen to every crazy thing. Because whatever you watch and listen to, you can start thinking about. Like, oh, I don't know why I'm so stressed out. What have you been watching? What have you been listening to? You know, there's some things I don't even watch. Not because I can't watch it or I think it's evil incarnate because it's like I already got enough stuff going on in my life. Why do I want to add this drama to it? It's like, yeah, all that show's great. I was like, I don't feel like going through an emotional roller coaster. I'm good. Watch what you put in. Especially if you're going through a struggle staying at peace, watch what your intake is. Analyze it if you want to live at peace. The next fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. As Bishop says, long-suffering. What is that? The patient restraint of anger. The patient restraint of anger. Notice by the nature of the word long-suffering, it's not like I was patient for a moment, I cussed you out the next. Imagine a long-wicked candle that burns slowly. It is the exact opposite of being short-tempered. Well, I just have a quick temper. Well, you need to change that if you're a believer. So I can't do that. You got long-suffering on the inside of you, so yes, you can. Well, I just can't help myself. So then either you're lying or Jesus lied. I pick you. Long-suffering. The patient restraint of anger. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you are worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, Colossians 3, 12 through 14 says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a, quar- a quarrel with you. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. So notice this word long-suffering is connected to forbearing or putting up with people. So you can't say, well, I'm long-suffering and you're not around people. You can only know you're long-suffering if you're around annoying people. That's when you really know if you have that fruit of the Spirit operate. You can't say, oh, I'm full of long-suffering. I'm full of patience. I don't get mad easily. Maybe you just haven't been around the right person yet. 
It's long-suffering when you're around people that know how to push every single button. It's long-suffering when you're around people who know how to push buttons because demons have told them what to do because they watched your family for years. And so they watch what ticked off your grandpa, your great-grandpa, your great-great-grandmother, everyone through the ancestry. Says, Ooh, it worked on them, so it's going to work on you. It's long-suffering when you can defeat that demonic strategy and walk in love with people who are annoying and very unlovable. That's long-suffering. It's like, what? I didn't give someone the finger driving out 285. Good. It's a starting place. But it's not quite long-suffering yet. That's long-suffering. The next one, gentleness. Gentleness. Remember, long-suffering flows from love. So what happens when I make a decision not to go off on someone? It doesn't mean you can't be angry with someone. But the Bible says be angry, sin not. Now, Ephesians 4 says don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Now, we love to use it as a marriage scripture, but he's not talking about marriage there. He's just talking to believers. He says, well, yeah, married people shouldn't go to bed angry at each other. Well, you shouldn't go to bed angry at anybody. People are like, oh, man, I thought of being single. I could escape that verse. No. You have to forgive everybody of everything. Whatever you practice, you will eventually perfect. If you can walk along suffering, you're going to have to forgive people. So what you're making a decision? Even if you don't know them well, I love you enough to not take it out on you. I believe God enough that God's going to handle it, and I don't have to get you back myself. It's long-suffering. Gentleness means to show kindness or to be friendly to others. To show kindness or be friendly to others. A lot of people think holiness means nastiness. Because holy people are so frustrated they can't do what their flesh likes, they sneer at people. That's not the Bible. You're not holy if you don't walk in love. So gentleness as a fruit of the Spirit means to be kind. It means to be friendly. Well, I'm not a people person. Well, you're really going to hate heaven. There's people everywhere. Well, I don't like people. Well, I guess you don't like you are. You is a people. So even if by your nature there's some things you have to get over, that God still expects you to be friendly even if you're an introvert. Now, introverts, they're around people sometimes, and the rest of the day, they're by themselves. So when you're around people, be friendly and know your limits. Don't put yourself in a situation you know you're not ready for. You know Thanksgiving's going to be a mess, so you're already interceding now in June for Thanksgiving and family members. <laughs> you already know, so don't stay at the annoying family member's house all the week. Just go for dinner and say, my pastor needs me back on Sunday. Pastor really needs to see me. And I see he looks for my amen. I'm sorry. I love you, but I got to go. Put it on me. <laughs> Don't put yourself in a situation you're not ready for. There is growth. But gentleness is to be friendly, to show kindness. This same word gentleness is translated as goodness in Romans 2.4, which says, Oh, despises thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering. Not knowing that the goodness of God 
leads you to repentance. God showing kindness to people. God being friendly to people brings people to repent. So when they should be zapped, when they should be judged, when the earth should open and send them straight to hell, God being kind to them, God being friendly to them, causes people to turn around. And God being kind to them is not just him not judging from heaven. It's God being kind to them through you. You being gentle to people, you showing kindness to people, you being friendly to people as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ will cause them to repent. That you decide, I'm going to be friendly to you because not only I got gentleness, I got some long suffering. So now I didn't just put up with you and didn't cuss you out, but I was nice to you anyways. It's like that song Pastor Andre liked to quote, be good to your haters today. So that's the next level. You didn't just put up with someone. You decided to bless them. Well, Jesus said, bless those that curse you. Pray for those that despitefully use you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Because if you do that often enough, people will want to know you're Jesus. They see what you believe is actually real. Because I've tried every trick I had to make you cuss me out, and you didn't. Your Christianity must be real. The next word is goodness. This word goodness means being good to someone. This word portrays a person who is generous, big-hearted, and charitable with his finances. Generous, big-hearted, and charitable with his finances. This person is a giver. So God wants every single believer to be a giver. Now, not every believer is going to be a big giver because not every big believer is actually going to give even though the fruit of the Spirit is in them to do so. Now, one of the things you'll see about this fruit of the Spirit goodness, as well as there's an anointing for it, and there is those who are called to be givers when you look at some of the list in Romans. What is it? These are people who can make a lot of money, and they give away a lot of money. That they know their purpose is, you know what? I'm here to make a lot of money and to fund the gospel. And these are people God can trust with a lot of money because he knows what they're going to do with it. And so if you want to be a person like that, start with the small. Don't say, well, God, you can give me a million dollars and I'll do right with it. Do right with $10. Because if you don't do right with $10, you ain't going to do right with a million dollars. Be generous. We talked about this on Sunday. Be generous with your life. We know what our tithe is. It's 10% on our gross, but our offering. Be generous with the offering. But we said, be generous with your life. So even when you leave here and you go to a restaurant, be generous with your tip. Instead of seeing a tip, I'm giving them what they deserve, use it as an opportunity for ministry. Use it as an opportunity to win someone to Jesus. Look for opportunities to be good to people. Think of others more than you think of yourself. Instead of going to the fast food restaurant and taking all of their ketchup, because you may need some in a month, Take what you need. Because some of us got drawers full of stuff. You're never going to use it, but it's just there just in case. Now, not only is that not treating people right, but that's a poverty mentality. But that's another message. You go to hotels. Be good to the people that clean your room. Please don't be extra nasty. Make it easy on people. 
So think about if it's your mother or your grandmother that cleans that room. So are you going to just throw towels everywhere? Or how about you leave them in one spot? Well, it's easy for them to get to instead of them bending over all day. Imagine what's going on with their back if they've been over all day. Be good to people. Now, there's no scripture that says you must return your cart to the appropriate place when you go to the grocery store. <laughs> but be good to the people that fetch those carts. <laughs> Don't be the one who's like, well, I got to go. And you push it to the opposite side. And like, well, <laughs> that's what they get paid for. And you just speed off. <laughs> be good to people. You want people to be good to you? Be good to people. For Ephesians 5, 9 says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Another one on there is faith, which is also translated faithfulness. This is not faith that you use to believe God for something. It's being faithful. It's being consistent. Jesus said in Luke 16, 10, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in the much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? There's levels to faithfulness, and you need to prove yourself faithful. God wants his people to be faithful and consistent. You know, I think I was listening to Jerry Savelle, and he says, you know, too many charismatic Christians are more cruisomatic Christians. That they're one place one day, five years later, they're somewhere else. Not because the Holy Ghost told them to go. They just follow wherever they feel like doing. It is what has God called you to do? Keep doing that until he tells you to do something else. And not having short attention spans. Because a lot of people think, well, my children have short attention spans. Well, so do you. We live in a generation where most of this generation, most of the Americans' attention span is so short. We've been trained that way because of how we've watched TV. All these different things can go into it. And so we expect someone to entertain us at all times. We live in Metro Atlanta. It's an entertainment capital. We like being entertained. And so someone's not entertaining us. I'm losing my interest. Man, I've gone five minutes without looking at Facebook. Now, don't say it's a millennial thing because the fastest growing age group on Facebook is 55 to 65-year-old women. And so one of the things we have to do is counterculture. Ooh, Lord, help me with my attention span. Help me not to be distracted. Help me to be consistent, faithful, to do what I'm supposed to do even when I'm bored, to do what I'm supposed to do even if no one's appreciating me, to do what I'm supposed to do even if I'm tired, to do what I'm supposed to do even if it seems like I've been doing this forever and ever and ever. Jesus has been so long. Come on. Because remember, it's not faithful for one year. Faithful to five years. It's faithful either to the rapture or faithful to death. That's where Jesus calls you to be faithful to. God needs faithful people. Paul, in his writings, called believers faithful and faithful believers. So the expectation is for every believer to be faithful. Remember, what does Jesus say in the parable, which represents when we get to heaven? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Not sometimey servant. Not undependable servant. 
Not showed up when you felt like it. Servant. Not felt, showed up when you felt led to. <laughs> oh, I feel led to sleep in today, Jesus. <laughs> it's faithful despite your feelings and faithful despite your flesh. Because you can't let your flesh tell you what to do because your flesh will go counter spirit. Your flesh will tell you to sleep in more. Your flesh will tell you to eat more. And it's not healthy things your flesh will tell you to do. It's not eat healthy. It's eat everything but. So you're faithful. Even when you don't want to be. That's something that Jesus is trying to bring out of you. Faithfulness. The next one is meekness. Which is the attitude or demeanor of a person who is patient and slow to respond in anger. It's a person who remains in control of himself in the face of insults and injuries. So it goes along with long-suffering, but meekness, picture it this way, is a person who can control their attitude and their emotions. So even when you feel like being emotional, even if you're going off with an attitude, meekness is in control. Meekness is not weakness, it's anything but. Meekness points to a strong person that is in control of their emotions. It paints a picture in the Greek of a person whose emotions are like a fierce animal, but it's under control. It doesn't mean you don't have these emotions. It means it's in control. That you're in control of your emotions instead of your emotions controlling you. Remember, you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a mortal body. You have a soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, which means at all times you must be in control of your mind. You must be in control of your will, and you must be in control of your emotions. Don't get it twisted. Do not let your emotions control you. You control your emotions. And the way you control your emotions is through the fruit of meekness. Even James tells us we're supposed to receive the word of God with meekness. So when you hear messages that really step on your toes, that really get on your nerves, sit down and be humble, as a certain brother says. Now, he may not be a brother yet. But I'm believing one day he'll be a brother. So instead of thinking, well, I know better than Jesus, Jesus knows better, so sit down and be humble. The last one on this list, temperance, which is control or restraint of one's passions, appetites, and desires. Or in other words, it's self-control. Think of meekness as control over attitude and emotions and temperance as control over your flesh. So it's not just people think of self-control. Ooh, I'm not sleeping around with everybody. It's more than that. It's telling your body what to do and when to do it. It's not letting your body call the shots. You got self-control. That means you don't have to eat everything. That means even at 1 a.m. when that piece of pie is calling you, you say no. When your body doesn't feel like exercising, you exercise anyway because you got self-control. Because a lot of people say, oh, I want dominion over demons. I want dominion over sickness. Well, take some dominion over fried chicken first. Take some dominion over that stomach of yours. Because some of you, if you could take authority over that stomach, you could stop hell itself. <laughs> Self-control. <laughs> so that leads you to Galatians 5, 24. Because against us there's no law. And it says, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. 
So that means your flesh is not calling the shots. You've pinned your flesh. You're not in charge anymore, flesh. My spirit's in charge. So that means we looked at before in the weeks prior that the flesh puts pressure on the spirit and the spirit puts pressure on the flesh. And whoever is fed the most, whoever is the strongest, wins. Fasting does not change God. Fasting changes you. What do you do when you're fasting? You're putting pressure on your flesh. You better get in line. If you want to eat again, you better get in line. Some of you, if you put obeying the Bible against food, you'd be faith champions. I like what Rick Renner said. He says, you know what? If I don't read the Bible, I don't eat. I don't eat breakfast until I read the Word of God. No wonder he's a Greek scholar. It's discipline. We have to be disciplined because we're disciples. What is a disciple? A disciplined one. Yes, we're Americans. We can do whatever we want to do. Here's what you need to do, what Jesus says. Paul said, I can do everything, but not everything is expedient or good for me. Because just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. Galatians 5.25, if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit, which means to habitually order our steps after the fruit of the Spirit. You want to be a spiritual person? It's not spooky. It's living the fruit of the Spirit. It's having the character attributes of Jesus. Remember living this way, as the message version says, makes Jesus attractive to all. People will want to know your Jesus, not because of how many scriptures you can quote. They'll want to know your Jesus because you act like him. It's getting us to a place where when Philip asked Jesus, Jesus, if he shows the Father, it's enough for us. Philip thought it was a reasonable request. Jesus replied in a way Philip didn't expect. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We need to get to a place in our Christian walk where we can boldly say, if you've seen me, you've seen Jesus. That's what your redemption is for, to get you to the place where you look like, talk like, act like, just like Jesus. Why? He's on the inside of you. Why shouldn't he direct you? Why shouldn't you mirror him and reflect him to the world? It says the whole world is waiting for the manifestation or the revealing of the sons of God. The whole whole world is waiting for the church to be the church. The whole world's crying out to quote an Eminem song with a real Christian, please stand up. That's what the world needs. Believers who are filled with the Spirit, who live by the character traits of Jesus. Amen? Stand to your feet. Let's thank God for his word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your guidance and your wisdom and the ability not to just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers. So help us do what we heard tonight. Help us to live out the fruit of the spirit and the character traits of Jesus. And we thank you for it. Now, when you look at your life and the circumstances you may be in, whether you created them or this has happened part of life, understand in this situation. While you're praying for God to get you out of the situation, God is trying to get things out of you. We think about where our five-year plan, where we want to be in our 10-year plan. We have goals and visions and dreams, and we should. And so we're focused on getting there, but we're not focused on what God's doing on the inside of us. 
You think, well, I went through so many things, so much resistance of the enemy, but I finally got to where I was supposed to be. Now, it's great that you got there, but you didn't realize what Jesus did on the inside of you while you went there. You're not the same person who started this journey. Remember, he will lead you to different places. Some places you want to be and some places you don't want to be. The Holy Ghost will lead you to a fight. Well, how did I know that? He led Jesus to a fight. If he led Jesus to a fight, he'll lead you to some fights. But if he leads you to it, he'll lead you through it, and you'll win. But on the other side, not only will you win and get rewarded for winning, you won't be the same person that entered into the situation. You'll be a person whose fruit of the Spirit is stronger. You'll have some more long-suffering, some more joy, some more peace. You'll have experience. Experience in hope and the love of God. And you'll never be ashamed. So while you're focused on getting out whatever you're facing, let God bring out of you what he wants to bring out. Let him increase the fruit of the Spirit so that you leave this situation looking more like Jesus. Because what happens? You keep walking with God. You keep living this way. Next time something pops off, you're like, well, if I beat the thing in the past, I can take this too. You become like David. I took down the bear. I took down the lion. This giant's going to be the same. And then it becomes contagious. David raised up a group of people that were giant killers. Let what God does in you go viral. Let it become contagious. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.